Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you, always to the very end of the age. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, before I start the sermon, I thought I'd mention to you, uh, just to get yourself excited, that the lunch menu is Vietnamese grilled pork chop on broken rice, <laughs> cooked by an authentic Vietnamese chef. So any lunch plan that you have, cancel it, all right? Cancel it, all right, cool, there you go. For $5, come on. Where else can you get that kind of deal, right? So I hope that you will stay around for church lunch to fellowship with one another and get excited. Anyway, uh, we are studying, uh, well, if you're still thinking of that, maybe get rid of that thought from your mind right now and go back to this, <laughs> including myself. Anyway. Uh, we're starting a new series called Making Disciples, and in the next few Sundays, we are looking at uh, the various contexts of discipleship. Uh, but before we talk about making disciples, before we look at those discipleship contexts, uh, we will begin today by asking, what is discipleship? Now, of course, what comes to your mind when you hear the word discipleship? Many of us will think about one-to-one -one bubble reading with someone else. That is discipleship, but... Discipleship is much bigger than that. Discipleship involves that. There is one context of discipleship, but discipleship itself is much bigger than that. Now, so I thought about what discipleship is. My mind straight away went to this movie. Went to this movie. Doctor, Doctor Strange. Now, you know how I love watching movies. Uh, some of you might be aware by now. I talk about movies a lot. Now, in the movie, uh, Doctor Stephen Strange was a renowned neurosurgeon, and he was involved in a very bad, terrible car accident, and both his hands were severe, seriously injured, not severe, sorry, seriously injured, and a neurosurgeon without his stable hands is useless. So Stephen Strange got information that a guru in Nepal could fix his hands, so he straight away flew to meet this guru, and her name was the Ancient One, now of course. You, you wouldn't trust a guru whose name is Sandy or Kevin or William, right? You will trust a guru, 
ancient one. Yeah, that's a legit guru name, right? Sorry, those are your names, by the way. So, anyway, in, 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 those, in, in their first encounter, the ancient one told Dr. Strange that there were ways for the bodies to heal that Dr. Strange was not aware of. And she talked about that, that one could reorient the spirit to better heal the body. Now, Dr. Strange was very skeptical to the point of insulting the guru, this ancient one. And she then showed Dr. Strange what she meant. She pushed his soul out of his body. She showed him the astral dimension that he never knew existed. And by the end of that head-spinning supernatural experience, Dr. Strange on his knee lifted up his hands, shaking and said, teach me, teach me. Well, to cut the story short, he then became one of the students of the ancient one. He lived in the compound. He committed his life to learning as much as possible from her so that he could become like her. Well, it's not a perfect example, but to a large extent, that's what discipleship is about. You realize that there is so much that this master knows that you don't know. There is so much that, that, that this master can do that you cannot. So you dedicate your life to learn as much as possible from this master so that you will know what this master knows, so that you will be able to do what this master does, and so that you will become more and more like your master. And at the end, your master's worldview becomes your worldview, and your master's purpose now becomes your purpose. The way the master looks at the world, it's, it has become the way you look at the world as well. That's discipleship. That is discipleship. And when it comes to Christian discipleship, of course, the master is Jesus Christ. And there's so much we can talk about, but today I will just submit to you three things. Three things. Number one is we're called to make disciples. Now, why, why do we bother with discipleship? Well, because Jesus commands it. Because Jesus commands it. The early, followers of Je- the early followers of Jesus Christ were not called Christians. They were called disciples. It is used 261 times in the, in the New Testament, and 230 plus of them were in the Gospels. There are other words commonly used to describe the Christians, which is the word believers, brother, b- a follower, which occurred more than 200 times. But you, you, you only see three times the word Christians being used in the, in the Bible. Now, the word disciple is from the Greek word, which can also mean learner or follower. When Jesus called his first disciples, he, then, he, he said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And, and by the end of Jesus' life on earth, the disciples know what fishers of men means. Because Jesus described it in Matthew 28. He says, make disciples of all nations. All authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So we have to understand what discipleship means because that's what Christianity is about. In comparison, like I mentioned, the word Christian is only used three times. If you call yourself a Christian, therefore, you are first and foremost a disciple of Christ, and you are called to make more disciples of Christ. You know, talking about disciple, actually every human being is a disciple. The question is, whose disciple are you? Who are you learning from? Who gets to tell you who you are? 
who gets to tell you who you are? You know, all the worldviews in the world, including religions, are trying to help each of us answer these five basic questions. Who am I? Where do I come from? What on earth am I here for? How should I live? And what happens when I die? And many philosophers, founders of religions, even celebrities will tell you the answers to those questions. And whether you realize it or not, you will subscribe to one or two or the combinations of those worldviews to help you answer those questions for yourself. So you are a disciple. The question is, whose disciple are you? And as Christians, we believe that God, the creator of heaven and earth, the God of the universe, has revealed himself in the world, in, in the word. He has shown himself to be sovereign in orchestrating the history of the world. And his word has come true. And this God has, came, has come down uh, on earth as a human being. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. And he has defeated death by rising from the dead. Jesus is the only person who has conquered death. Therefore, this God, this Jesus, is the only one who can and who gets to tell us the truth about our identity, our origin, our purpose, our morality, and our destiny. And that's why we are disciples of Christ. We are calling people to be disciples of Christ too because we know that Jesus is the only master who is worth following. He's the only master who is worth worshipping. He's the only God who has the truth. So we follow Jesus. We are first and foremost disciples of Christ. Now, talking about discipleship, it's not just about knowledge. Secondly, discipleship is about obedience. In Matthew 28, Jesus tells us how we make disciples. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of, of the Holy Spirit and teaching them, to observe their, all, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So two fundamentals here. How you make disciples? By baptizing and by teaching. Now, talking about baptism, we are all excited, right, when there's baptism here at the church, especially if people from the Mandarin congregation are getting baptized. You know why, right? Because we got to see Pastor Lao enthusiastically dunking people into the water, and around here we call it Kung Fu baptism. If you haven't seen it yet, you've got to stick around. One of these days, you will either love it, okay, you will either love it or be scared by it, but so far, everyone loves it, so far, okay, so far. No one says, no, I'm not, I'm cancelling my baptism. No one has said that, all right? But physical action aside, when we undergo baptism, we are declaring, we are declaring to people who are, who are witnessing our baptism, baptism, we are declaring that our old life has gone. Our old life is now buried, and the new life in Christ has emerged. We no longer want to live the way we lived. And that's the first step of discipleship, the tangible and the genuine change of our allegiance. So we're calling people to change their allegiance from whatever, whoever they're following before to following Jesus Christ. And then after that, we teach. We teach them, we tell one another what God says about our identity, our origin, our meaning, our purpose, our destiny. We're helping one another to gradually move further and further away from, the, from what the world is telling us. And we are calling one another to daily repent from our sins. And we are helping one another to align ourselves 
to the Word of God, more and more to the words of Jesus Christ. And verse 20 says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The call here is to, to, to obey, not just to understand, not just to accumulate knowledge, but to actually do what He says. You know, we cannot say, you cannot say to God, as long as I worship God in my heart. No, no way. We are to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength, with our everything. You know, I don't tell my wife, darling, I love you in my heart. No, she will tell me, oh, thank you. I promise I will cook you every day in my heart. You know, <laughs> that, it doesn't work, right? You cannot obey only in your heart. There's no such thing, right? There's no such thing. So people must know that you are Jesus' disciples from the way you live, from the way you live. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, friends, if you call yourself a Christian, let me ask you these questions. What aspect of obedience to God are you working on right now? What aspect of obedience to God are you working on right now? What sin are you repenting from today? What sin are you repenting from today? In what area of your life can you obey God more fully? If you cannot answer any of those questions, then maybe you're not growing in your obedience to God. And if you cannot answer any of those questions, you have to ask the hard question, whose disciple are you really? Whose disciple are you really? Because discipleship is about obedience. It's not just about knowledge. And thirdly, discipleship is a lifelong it's a lifelong, wholehearted commitment. And Jesus puts it this way. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, it doesn't mean that you, when you become a Christian that you make it your ambition to hate everyone. No, that's not what it means. It means that if you are ever put in a situation where you have to choose between God or something else, between Jesus or your own family, then you choose Jesus. For most of us, for most of us, we are glad that we don't have to choose. We don't have to choose between our family or Jesus. For most of us, we are glad we don't have to do that. But for many Christians, this is a reality for them. I know a sister in Christ, Let's call her Melissa. Now, again, Melissa, I'm so sorry. I know Melissa over there, but anyway, I was sitting, when I was preparing this sermon, I was sitting with one student, one step student, and I just asked him, just give me any random lady's name. He says, Melissa, all right, I'll use Melissa. So if you want to blame someone, blame anyway. <laughs> anyway, uh, Melissa was married to someone who initially professed to be a Christian. Melissa and her husband served God together in their church. They even contemplated going on a mission together. She left her job because she wanted to support her husband's work as they prepared for mission. However, something unfortunate happened that rocked their marriage. 
They then decided to move to a different city, hoping to restart their life together. They attended church on the first Sunday. However, the following Sunday, the husband told her that he, that he doesn't want to go to church anymore. He no longer wanted to follow Jesus. And the husband asked Melissa to make a choice. You follow me or you follow Jesus? You follow me or you follow Jesus? She was very heartbroken. How could anyone, how could anyone be asked to make such a decision? With much pain, she decided that she would follow Jesus. And her husband indeed left her. And she had to go through the pain of separation from her husband, and she's still picking up the pieces right now. Now she had to go back to work seven years after she left her work. The journey has not been easy for her, but she's holding on to her faith in Jesus. Friends, you and I might not have to face the dilemma that Melissa faced. Although I trust that some of you did. I know many people that have done that, especially some Indonesian Christians who grew up from Muslim uh, background. But regardless, if you are a Christian, you and I are called to put Christ above all. For most of us, the choice is quite likely between glorifying Christ or gaining extra profit. Glorifying Christ or maintaining this ungodly relationship. Christ or saving my job. Christ or avoiding embarrassment. Christ or keeping this unhealthy friendship. Christ or a few extra hours of sleep. Christ or higher grade in uni. Christ or influential position in the company. Christ or pleasing a certain person in my life. If you must choose between the two, if you must choose between the two, I hope we always choose Christ. And Jesus then continues, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. I'm glad that Jesus is honest here. Jesus is honest. Jesus is not saying, follow me, it's easy. It's just a walk in the park. Don't worry. But no, Jesus says, it will not be easy. It involves suffering. It involves hardship. So you better know what you're signing up for. You know, Jesus never says, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Follow me and you will be happy, healthy, wealthy. You are the children of the king. I will never let you suffer. Your best life is now. Seize it. Claim it. It's yours. No. I don't know what you call that, but that's not Christianity. Richard Wombrand, Richard Wombrand became a Christian at the age of 27 in Romania in 1938. He then became an ordained minister. Seven years later, in 1945, a Romanian uh, communist seized power in the government. And the new government organized a massive congress. In that meeting, all religious leaders in the country were expected to declare their open support for this communist government. And Richard and his wife, Sabina, were among the attendants. One by one, the Christian leaders went to the stage and spoke out in support of the Communist Party. Sabina, the wife, turned to Richard and said, Richard, stand up and wash away this shame from the face of Christ. They are spitting in his face. Richard replied, if I do so, you will lose your husband. And Sabina replied, I don't need a coward for a husband. See, 
your wife has a way to get you to do something. Anyway, so <laughs> that's, not the, that's not the point of the story. I'm sorry, but anyway. So Wombrand stepped forward to speak at the Congress. There was a hush because he was an influential minister. Everyone anticipated that he would declare his support, but instead he proclaimed to the 4,000 delegates that their duty as Christians was to glorify God and Christ alone. And Richard spent the following two decades paying for that decision with imprisonments and severe tortures. In 1967, he was released and the Wombrands founded a ministry known as the Voice of the Martyrs, encouraging Christians everywhere to support their brothers and sisters facing terrible persecutions. Now, again, you and I might not face the persecution that Richard Wombrand experienced. You might not face this kind of persecution, but as Christians, we must be ready to suffer some level of persecutions and some more than others, some of you more than others. And Jesus summarizes it in verse 33. Therefore, if, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciples. That's what discipleship is. It's a conscious decision of choosing Jesus every day. It's a daily surrender to the Lordship of Christ despite the cost. So, we're called to make disciples. Discipleship is about obedience, not just knowledge, and it is a lifelong, wholehearted commitment. And this is not easy. We all know this. This is very hard. That's why in the next few Sundays, we will unpack what it looks like and what it takes to grow as disciples of Christ. But for today, let me close with this. You know, on hearing all this, you might ask then, why bother? This is so difficult. Why bother? And that's a fair question. Jesus himself tells us to face the reality that the cost is going to be high. But let me tell you two little secrets. And the first one is this. The cost is high, but the reward is much higher. The reward is much higher. You know, at the end, when you arrive at your eternal home, when Jesus says to you, well done, good and faithful servant, share in your master's happiness, then you will realize that your daily decision to obey Christ, your daily repentance, your suffering or your persecution, it's all worth it. You realize then that, that when you daily choose Jesus over other things, when you daily choose Jesus over other things, you're not really making any sacrifice. You're choosing what's eternal and what's good over what's temporal and what's worthless. That's hardly called a sacrifice. Those who decide to choose other things over Jesus, those who decide this temporary life over Jesus, they will pay for their choices with suffering eternally, and they are the ones who make the biggest sacrifice. They will realize that it's not worthy sacrifice. It's not a worthy sacrifice. So when you daily think that I have to make sacrifice for Jesus, no. He is the one who made sacrifice for you. You're not making any sacrifice. You're trading what's temporal, what's worthless, with something that's eternal and good. And that's not sacrifice. And secondly, the reason we can and we can make disciples is that Jesus says all authority has been given to, Je- to has all authority has been given to Jesus, and He will be with us always. Jesus' power is working in us, and He has promised to be with us. So you're not doing this alone. You're not doing this alone. You know, when I asked Melissa for permission to share her story, she said this to me. 
Sandy, I give you permission to use it. Also, please don't apologize because I, I said to her, I apologize if this will end up bringing, uh, bringing the past again. But she said, don't apologize. The intimacy I enjoyed with Jesus, even in the midst of the tough times, has been so sweet. Also, my faith grew as I witnessed God's faithfulness and provision whenever, whenever matters seemed impossible to me. The journey indeed has been painful and hard, but it is my prayer that if put in this situation once more, I would choose to follow King Jesus by God's grace again. Jesus chose to suffer and die to save us. Nothing is worth keeping if I will lose Jesus as a result of keeping it. What a beautiful testimony. Following Jesus is not easy, but when we follow Jesus, we are following a master who is great, who is glorious, who is generous, who is gracious, and who is good. He loves us. He will walk with us, and at the end, He will welcome us, and He will reward us with the priceless eternal life. We are all disciples. The question is, whose disciple are you? And you, get to you have to choose. Let me pray, I'll touch, I'll, and I'll take questions. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for calling us to be your disciples. Left to ourselves, Lord, we will never choose you. Left to ourselves, we will never choose to follow you. But you have shown yourself to us. You have revealed to us and you have called us to follow. You have shown us what it means, what we will get, what's, what we will receive, Lord, when we follow you. So we, we, we thank you, Lord, that you have invited us. So we pray that we'll follow you for the rest of our lives. We pray that the more we know you, the more we can see your beauty, the more we experience your grace and mercy, the more we will follow you fervently. And we pray that each of us here in this community will encourage one another to follow Jesus, to cling on to Jesus, to not run away from him. Because we know, Lord, that you are a good, gracious, loving God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.